Well, you're going to want to have your Bibles ready. Um, we're going to be all over the place, so I'm not working out of one text this morning. We did finish a series on heaven, a five-part series on heaven. I was really disappointed when it was over. I had much more to say, but uh, we will save that maybe for another time. We are going to be getting back into the book of John soon. Uh, we also are going to be able to hear a series on the Psalms from David. I'm sorry, from David. Yes, from David who wrote them, some of them, but from Patrick. Uh, Patrick is going to be preaching for us here soon. Uh, I just want you to get to know him and his heart and uh, be encouraged by him as I have been. He and I start working this week. I've tried my best to leave him alone for as long as I can, and we're going to be getting to it this week to start getting ready to just uh, help our church and encourage our church. So I am thankful for him being here. Uh, With that being said, one of the things I was referencing quite often in my series on heaven was understanding the Word of God and how it was originally was uh, intended to be read or uh, the way in which we are to receive it. And I made different applications of understanding the difference between biblicism, context, history, uh, how to look at something within its original context. And it had me thinking, which then even led over to an interesting discussion at our men's Bible study. And before we go back into John, and there are so many that are new to our context Uh, that have joined in the last few weeks. Uh, There's, I think, a way that I want to set the tone before going back into John, because most of you haven't been following us over the last 18 chapters. So going into the 19th chapter, I want to set us up to be uh, to receive the most benefit from God's Word as we can. So we're going to be talking about God's Word for God's people this morning. Now, from the time that we start reading just as children, we, I was talking with someone today and they used the word phonics, which I haven't thought about it in a long time. But from the moment we start reading, we are told as Christians to be then reading our Bibles. There's even children's Bibles, which I'm really thankful for. We have them in our home. We use them uh, with, we have used them with our children. And it's the, really the first instructions you receive when you come to Christ, right? You, uh, new Christians are to do three things. They are to be baptized. They are to go to church, and then they are to read their Bibles, right? Those are the three major pillars. So what happens? With no context and no historical background and no guidance, they begin to read. What happens next? Questions. Lots of them. I know because my phone is full of them in text form. So what does the 21st century person do when the pastor is not available to answer their questions? Something like this. Hey, Siri, why does God hate everybody in the Old Testament? Hey, Siri, why does God require men to shave the corners of their beards? Hey, Siri, what's with all the killing of the innocent animals? Seems kind of uh, messed up. And this is where we go. We go to the Internet to answer our questions. They then find out, just like those parts, we'll just skip those parts because I don't really understand them. We'll move on, try to move on to the stories. And so what people tell them is, oh, yeah, those are the confusing parts. Let's read the parts that apply to us, the good stories. So then they learn how to pray like Daniel and kill giants like David and stand up for people that they love like Esther, even though that might require them to sleep with the king. Not a good thing. When they have a sin struggles or are facing a trial, they assume that The trial or their sin is connected to their lack of the minutes spit in the magical book of wonders. You see, all Christians know that the Bible is somewhat like a gym. The more time you put into it, the stronger you will be. 
And we even use words or verses like, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee, and yet I still sin against thee. So what is going wrong? How how have I missed this? I must not be doing it right. So we resolve to maybe memorizing God's word. He said, hide, that must be memorized. So what parts should I then memorize? Because I can't remember my phone number and there's like literally 780,000 words and almost, uh, was it 31,000 verses in the Bible. Which ones do you choose? If they're all good, I guess we should memorize them all. And here's what's happened is that the system we set up, baptize them, go to church, now read your Bible, it, it actually creates what we call isolationism within the Christian world, within Christianity. The Christian life is primarily spent alone because you're baptized once, unless you're in a good baptized, in a good Baptist church, then you're baptized four times. Sorry, inside joke. Um, and then you go to church once on Sunday, and then the rest of the week you're by yourself. So the real stuff of the Christian life happens where? Alone, in your quiet place. So if you want to get serious about your faith, is what we're told, get serious about your quiet times. And I know many of you feel guilty and ashamed of how you have been neglecting to read your Bibles because I've heard this and I've had these conversations. Along with dealing with the shame of your own sin that you struggle with every week, you then pile on the shame of neglecting to read the Bible and it just seems to be all against you. I also know there are those who are crushing it at their Bible reading plans this year so far. As a matter of fact, you've gotten a couple days ahead of schedule just in case you're sick or can't read. And when I ask individuals, by the way, this is nobody in our church, when I ask individuals, how's it going? The first thing they tell me is, well, yeah, I've been really reading and praying a lot lately, as if the Christian life is directly connected to that specific act in their life. And here's what breaks my heart is that I find those who are most faithful at reading the Word by themselves often never apply it to themselves. They like grace and love for others. but often, and, and because of this, it creates this uh, 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 judgmentalism and criticism of people that don't live up to the level of Christianity that they are in or that they are at. And the question I have is, for someone who consumes God's Word so much, how is it that they don't, how is it that they are not affected by it, by its contents, which should lead them to more grace and love, but that it is lacking? Now, don't be confused here. I am not blaming their actual time in the Word. That's not what I'm blaming. Or even daily Bible reading. That's not the problem of why there's a lack of grace and love. Uh, What I am blaming is the system that has taught them to read their Bibles in such a way that creates this attitude. The Bible becomes the way in which we measure our standing before God and before others. Bible reading has become the way in which we determine if someone truly is a follower of Jesus. If someone does not read their Bible, how is it that they can be truly a Christian? Or how can even someone say they love Jesus and not to want to read his word? Now, for those of you who are feel as a failure, who are, or who are crushed underneath the weight of this task and never really feel like they are going to compare to the giants of the faith, 
There's too many dirty dishes, diapers, and deadlines in the way. This sermon is for you, and specifically for me this morning. I think I've said this before, but I'm a very, very selfish preacher. I tend to preach what I need. You just happen to hear it. No, seriously, I want to show you from God's Word how God has intended His people to interact with Him and interact with His Word. I know much of what I said probably shocked some of you, and that was definitely not my intention. I love God's Word, and I want our church to love God's Word rightly as well. I want us to receive all the benefits that can be found within this love letter from the Father to us about the story of how He has redeemed us and is redeeming others. So to do this, we are going to use God's Word to guide us this morning, as we did even with our series in heaven, so that we can learn how to appropriately and properly engage with God's Word. So here are the three ways in which we are going to look through Scripture this morning. We're going to look at the primary purpose of God's Word. We're going to look at the primary means God's Word was received and should be received today. And then we're going to look at the primary way God's Word was obeyed that we too can obey it appropriately. So let's talk with the first one. The primary purpose of God's Word. Well, this is not going to be a shocker for anyone. The primary purpose of God's Word is used for salvation, right? Uh, these are a couple of verses if you want to write them down. Hebrews, by the way, we are about to go through a ton of Scripture. So I can give this to you later. You can write it down, uh, but we will go through it pretty quickly. Hebrews chapter 4, verses uh, verse 12 says this, For the word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divided division of the soul and of the spirit and of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So what he's saying is God's word is what comes in and is what pierces the heart. My logic cannot transform your dead heart to life, but God's word can. So I don't logic you into the kingdom. I preach the gospel, as Paul says, and the gospel comes in and it pierces your heart and transforms you. This is why it says in Romans chapter 10, 17, says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So it's powerful. And the way in which we believe we come to the knowledge of Christ is by hearing it proclaimed over us. So the second way in which the purpose of God's word is used is for comfort, obviously, because we come everywhere, every week to receive comfort uh, Psalm 119.50 says this, This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promises gives me life. And then Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So the design of God's Word is to save us and then provide us hope after salvation. And then thirdly, we are then to take this hope we have received and then in turn used it for ministry. This is the third point, for ministry. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped for for, for, for every good work. And so the primary purposes of God's Word are obviously seen here. So far, it's receiving the Word of God, hearing it, transforming our eyes, bringing our hearts to life, bringing us hope, and then in turn, we take it and we are equipped by it. We are trained by it so that we can use it for the work of ministry. Here's the second way in which uh, the Bible should be understood. is The primary outlet 
God's word was received. What is the primary way in which the word of God has been coming to the people of God since the beginning of time? Well, we're going to have to go to the Old Testament first. We live in a way, we live in a, we live in a, a society where we, we don't think about the past. And I'm not just talking about American culture. I'm talking about uh, Christian history. So when, when Adam and Eve first received the promise, that God is going to bring a seed through Eve and he's going to redeem them. He's going to fix what they had destroyed. That wasn't written down, you know, on some blog so that everyone could see it and print it out. It was then transferred verbally to their children and to their children. It wasn't even written down till several hundred years later when Moses finally wrote it down for them after the Exodus. Do you guys know how much history happens? All of Genesis happens before Exodus. And then half of Exodus is when you finally have Moses writing of it. Once Moses writes the law, the first five books of the Bible, did everyone in Israel get a copy? Well, let's think about that. There is no paper. There's vellum and papyri. That is very hard to come by. And being able to sit down and write all of those words so that every single person could have a copy. No, the way in which they received the law is that it was read over them. And then as it was read over them, they were commanded then to take it and they were, the metaphor is to write it on the tablets of their hearts and on their forehead, which uh, the Pharisees actually took literal. They started putting little boxes on their head with the law inside of it. That's not what he meant. It was heart and mind. What he's saying was take the truth of the law and make it uh, be what governs your life. You move on all the way to the, the whole Old Testament is written. You never hear of those individuals reading, but they definitely loved God's word and they definitely engaged in God's word. And the word, so here's the key, and this is why I mentioned this. The way in which the people of God received God's word was always corporately. They would come together and the prophets would read and the priests would read the law to the people. They would stand and hear it and they would respond in song. That's the primary way in which they received the word. And then you get to the New Testament. Well, what has changed? Is it like all of a sudden technology has increased? No. We're still in the same uh, place that we take technology. Is, there's no change. So the, the, the word of God at this point before the New Testament is written is housed in the temples. And there's fragments that the, the believers can have, but they didn't have all of God's word. And so you have Paul continuing to explain to the church How is it that you're going to receive from God his word? So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians, Paul just gets finished explaining the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and all the benefits that we have in Christ. It's wonderful. And then it's time to apply it. Now, we assume when Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians that everyone must have got a copy and added it to their folder so that they too could go home and read it daily by themselves. But again, it doesn't work that way. They were actually commanded to make copies and send them off to other churches so that the leaders of those churches could also have that letter, and they too can read that letter and explain it to their congregants. So how is it that the Word of God was administered in the church? This is what he says in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers... To what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge, 
information, of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. So these teachers and preachers, these, these shepherds are designed to administer the Word of God, to teach you, to build you up, so that we all are equally believing the knowledge of Christ. And then he says this, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. What he is saying is there's a lot of teaching that is out there. And the job of the church is to administer the word of God so that it builds us up in strength in our faith and the knowledge of Christ. The way in which the diet of the believer received the word of God was through the gifts of the spirit through the people in the church. Which, I mean, you have to understand, there's just personal Bibles were not a thing, right? Uh, turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. So this is Paul instructing a young pastor how it is that he's to care for his congregation. I was reminded this morning that apparently I'm still young. I appreciated that. Thank you, Curtis. I didn't know who the main actor of Green Acres was. So, you know, I guess I'm young. But then he didn't know what Tetris was, so I had him. <laughs> I was just stalling so you could all get over to Second Timothy. That's all I was doing. Second Timothy chapter 4, it says this. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living, and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with, all, with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers that suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So Paul seems here convinced, both in Ephesians and in Second Timothy, that the method is sufficient in preparing the hearts and the minds of believers to fulfill God's responsibilities or the responsibilities before God. He is using the public gathering and the public teaching and preaching of God's word as the means of which to equip us to do what we need to do. And I find it interesting that he did warn that there are those who are going to be pulled away after their own passions because they are wanting something other than God's word. Whole nother sermon. So we have a pattern now. We have a pattern of God's word being given to the prophets and the priests and then being ministered to the people of old. And then the God... Uh, comes through the power of the Spirit, and he gives teachers and preachers and shepherds to come and administer God's Word so that they can be built up. And you need to understand, Paul thinks it's sufficient that the administration of the corporate gathering of the God's Word coming is sufficient to actually accomplish what it is that is set out to accomplish. So this leads us to our third point, which is the primary way God's Word was obeyed. The primary way God's Word was obeyed. Now, most see God's word as the means to overcoming their sins. That's uh, When I was in college ministry, I would have students sit in front of me, and they would say this is what they struggled with, and they wanted to know basically how does to use God's word to strengthen them to overcome this, or they were afraid of evangelism, so how do I become a better evangelist? My personal holiness before God is the priority of the Christian life is what is end up being pressed in upon us. Because we don't understand the gospel properly, we see that our sins, they're forgiven. Yes, God has forgiven us. He's died on the cross. But now it's up to us to keep ourselves holy so that we don't lose our spot in heaven or we don't displease God. 
A healthy diet of Bible reading will create a healthy Christian. And what we end up doing is individualizing our faith and our interaction with God. My problem with sin is because of my actions. Or my successfulness as a Christian is because of my dedication. When we understand that by faith we have received all the benefits of Christ, all of them, that means your forgiveness of sins, your guaranteed uh, sanctification and glorification, all of that's been given to you at the moment of faith. There's nothing left required of you to do anything to receive those benefits. When we understand this, it changes the way in which you're going to engage God's Word. These truths are what govern our life, and it is how we then take them and apply them. Well, here's what is, here's the difference. You, they are applied corporately, not individually. Uh, Colossians chapter three, turn, turn there. If you're still, stay in Ephesians chapter four, if you're still there. I'm going to read to you really quick Colossians chapter three. So Paul does the same thing in Colossians that he does in Ephesians. He begins with this glorious truth of the gospel. All the benefits that we have, we are adopted in Christ, we are in union with Christ. Don't let anybody come and steal these truths by putting an additional law upon you. It's the end of chapter 2. And then he says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What's the point of it? You cannot teach and you cannot admonish that which you don't understand. Richly means full understanding, full faith, full believing. The pursuit is belief, not just knowledge, and not the act of. Because here's the response. This is what we do with God's Word. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. The application of receiving God's Word is then to administer it back to each other. So we build ourselves up or we actually put it this way, we are built up so that in turn we can then build others up. So the Word of God flows from the church to its people, to the congregation. It then dwells within them. It builds them up. Their faith is now growing, and then in turn they take that to encourage it, to encourage each other. Uh, if you're still in Ephesians, look at chapter 14, verses 5 and 6. He says this, rather speaking the truth in love. So this is after being tossed about by every wind of doctrine, by being pulled off to believe wrong about God. It says this, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom him, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Now let me just point this out so you understand his point. The joints he just got done, done explaining. These are all the different roles within the church, right? This is all the different functions. He even does this again in Corinthians, where he talks about, uses the metaphor of the body. So understand, the Word of God is received, and then it's applied, and this is the promise that Paul says. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The application of the Word of God, rightly used within the people of God, produces growth in love. You do not have anywhere in Scripture where this promise is outside as an individual. You cannot with full confidence say, right here, 
I do not need to be in a church. I do not need to have the word of God publicly given to me. I can have the word of God by myself, and it is sufficient to grow in love. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that, but multiple times in God's word, it says that we gather together to receive the word, to use our gifts, and when we do that appropriately, that's where faith and that's where growth happens. Hebrews chapter 10, 23 and following. Hebrews 10, 23, it says this, let us hold fast the confession of our faith. And please notice here, he is speaking to a congregation using the, the plural, we together. This is not individually let you hold fast, but it's let us hold fast. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up into love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. The application of God's word is for our faith to, ass- to assure it, to make it strong. And that we consider how it is that we can spur one another on to love. And how does that happen? It's by the gathered church together. So I would say from Scripture, if I were to make my argumentation, it is not Scripture's read and even memorized that transforms you. According to the Bible... It is scriptures that are understood rightly, believed, and applied. That's what transforms you. So to hide God's word in your heart is not to memorize it, I don't think. uh, Because uh, what good is it if a doctor goes or if a person goes to medical school can memorize the entire um, medical category, whatever it is, that all the classes, they memorized it all. They They can cite any medical disease that you may come across with, all medications, and yet have zero knowledge of how to apply it. That is one educated man that is super dangerous, because you assume he's got the the degree, but if he doesn't know what he's doing, he can end up killing someone. But this is how we feel. We assume if we put the work in, if I have the knowledge, then the application is going to come, but it doesn't work that way. This is why for many, uh, many who have read their Bibles for years from cover to cover, And they absolutely see no change in their life. They see no hope. They see no satisfaction in Christ because they aren't actually knowing how to apply what it is that they're reading. So I believe that God's word should lead you to God's people for the purpose of God's ministry to accomplish God's will. That's the design of the word. It's not how we've individualized it. God's word is your instruction manual to make him happy and get his blessings. That's not how it's to be used. Now, I often hear in response, but John, aren't we commanded from Paul to be like the Bereans? Absolutely. So let's read that in context, because I think it'll be helpful. Uh, Acts 17, 11, he's dealing with people who um, are hearing the gospel for the first time. They're hearing The Messiah we've been waiting for is here. Not only is he here, he died, rose again, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and you can have him as your king and be saved by him. They hear this. Well, wait a minute. How did we miss this? Where did this come from? So what did they do? They took what they heard from Paul, and it says this. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Why would they be so eager to make sure these things were so? Their 
relationship with God depended on it. Their blessings from God depended on it. And their eternal salvation depended on it. So they heard something they had not heard before. And they're like, we want to make sure this is true. Is this accurate? So they were confirming Paul's words because this is the first time they've been hearing of it. And what is it they were examining? Let's be clear. Were they examining the entire Bible? No. This is Acts 17. This is early on. Much of the New Testament uh, hasn't been fully written yet or has passed around to all the churches. They're examining the law and the prophets to make sure that the prophecies that were uh, spoken of have been fulfilled. And the way in which they would have to do this is they would have to go to the temple where the law and the prophets were stored. And it doesn't sound like they were doing this every morning as a means by which they were gaining some kind of benefit. They wanted to confirm, what did I hear? Is this true before I put my faith in it? So in closing, (laughs) I think the Bible is the most important book ever produced on this earth. I better hope so, because my entire career and my entire life is based upon this book. I think it's the only book that will provide truths of the gospel. Nothing outside of the Bible can produce eternal life or give us the truth of eternal life. So to gain, if we believe this truth about the Bible, to gain the benefits of this book, you must first believe it. I mean, that's obvious. And in order to believe it, you have to what? You have to understand it. You cannot put your faith in that which you don't understand. So the goal of Scripture is not for you to read it daily, but for you to actually believe what it says and then apply it. That's the purpose. Hear the word of the Lord and then believe the word of the Lord and then apply the word of the Lord. So the act of reading your Bible will never produce righteousness within you. I know because I for years read my Bible, not fully understanding what it is that I read, and somehow thought it was a spiritual act that God was pleased with. Reading your Bible will never keep you from sin. Okay, I don't know how many of you are going to admit to this, but how many of you have been reading your Bible and caught yourself in sin? Like your thought was not a good thought. Envy, strife, bitterness, lust. Some of you are smiling. You know what exactly I'm talking about? Well, if Bible reading prevented you from sin, what happened there? Secondly, it will never prevent Satan from attacking you. The act of reading your Bible was not promised. This is why he doesn't say in Hebrews not to neglect the reading of the Bible. He says not to neglect the gathering of the saints because that is where God's word is administered in practice. So I will say reading God's words, your eyes glancing over the words is not the same as understanding and believing it. The Bible is only powerful as much as it is that you believe it. The goal then is to understand it rightly, to then apply its benefits rightly. And I don't believe that God has left this up to a mystery where it's our own interpretation. We need to decide for ourselves what God's word says. This is why we hold to a confession that we together can come and say, thus saith the Lord with confidence. Because if you cannot say, thus saith the Lord, you have no assurance and you have no hope. It's not left up for your own interpretation. It's not left up for you to figure it out. 
Thankfully, God has blessed his church and protected it in this way. So the purpose of God's word for you is that you might be saved and that you might be comforted and that you might love others. This is what God's word should lead you to. One last closing thought. God's people gather around God's word to be fed, to be encouraged, and then to apply God's word through grace and love for each other and then for the world around them. That's what God's word should do for you. If the application of God's word leads you to anything else, I would say, I don't know if you can find that in scripture. Now, that being said, we have an advantage. One the early church hasn't had for almost 1,500 years. We actually can use God's word at home, but I want to challenge you to completely change your interaction with God's word. Don't assume somehow the more time you put in and the more dedicated you are to it, that somehow this is going to gain something for you. I want to completely change the way in which you see God's word. God's word is for your family. Let me think, let me put it this way. I never make a decision as a dad and as a husband without thinking, even subconsciously thinking about my family. Whether what it is I'm going to buy, places I'm going to go, things I'm going to say, that will affect them. So my finances, my time, they're all affected by what? My family. But as Christians, we don't engage God or his word in this way. We don't think about the things we say or do or where we spend our time and money in light of a godly family, the family of God. We think of about it as if we're an only child. It's me and God and whatever I decide, I just want to make sure I don't get him angry and I obey his rules. (laughs) There's like this important rule called, hey, you're not an only child and you have a responsibility to the other members of this body. And so we use God's word to bring comfort and we use God's word to motivate us for what? To love and show grace and kindness. We're not going to take time to to go there, but if you go back to Ephesians chapter one, Paul says, if this is true of you, sorry, Ephesians chapter four, verse one, if this is true of you, if you have received God's mercy and kindness and you are now his child, he says, Walk in a manner worthy of that calling. You know what he says? With patience and meekness and kindness, loving, being eager to maintain the bond of unity. The application of your salvation is your love in the body. So please, with all eagerness and passion, rightly understanding your word, if you want to and I would encourage you to dive into God's word, but do so always thinking, I am a part of a family. And how is it that I can use this word to comfort myself and comfort others? Because that was the original design. It was never designed as a test. And it's definitely not designed to be your primary means of growth. I think we've argued pretty sufficiently from scripture that the primary way in which you grow in the Christian faith is with the body of believers, not separate from it in your own quiet times. I want to say this because I know I'm going to get it. I am not telling you not to read your Bibles. 
I'm encouraging you to use the Word of God the way God designed the Word to be used. There is a difference. There is a difference.